everyone, and welcome back to the Green and Gold Rugby Show for another week. We're the show that's getting you over the game line on the hottest topics of Australian rugby. Whether you're listening to us via Eon Sports Radio or directly from our podcast feed, we're thrilled to have you. I'm Reg Robertson. Joining me, as per usual, uh, Matt Rowley. How are you, Matt? Hello, mate. Oh, <laughs> upbeat today. Um, and we've got Hugh Cavill on the line too. How are you? I'm not upbeat, Red. I'm not upbeat at all. <laughs> Lost money on two up today. I uh, am just still mourning the Waratahs. Generally, it's it's not it's not great at the moment. Too Hopefully, great. we can I can pick myself up. Two great Australian traditions. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Lest we forget. Um, look, uh, look. there's plenty to talk about on the show tonight, lads, but I did want to start with a coaching question. So Daryl Gibson had the Tars carry a rope to training last weekend because he wanted... Well, I actually don't know what he wanted, what that represented, but my question to you guys, and I'll, I'll start with you, Hugh, is, is have you ever experienced any of these wacky coaching tactic, tactics or techniques at all? I haven't experienced them. I think the Gibson one, Reg, was... They were all. I think it signified that they were all tied to the, together, um, and then also to let go of the past. I'm not sure what the rope has to do with that second part, but um, certainly, um, or maybe they weren't tied to the past. I don't know. There's a few flimsy metaphors there. That we there can, are some very loose uh, ones. Yes, um, but um, they certainly played like they were tied to something on the weekend. Um, but. Well, I mean, I suppose the thing I was going to say is Gibson's basically learned from the master, Michael Checker. Um, and, you know, before the, the, their Super Rugby final, um, which I'm happy to talk about at length, Reg, uh, if you'd like <laughs> to um, it's, uh, in 2014, he gave them all um, custom golf clubs, like personally personalised golf clubs, um, with the, and then gave a sort of a, a, a sermon to, uh, for them to tee off in the final, um, and it's bizarre. I'm not sure how effective that would be. It obviously was, but um, it's kind of a bizarre way to make a point to say get stuck in. But um, I suppose it worked for him, so so you can't complain. I really like that one. Didn't he also have the poker face one? What was that? Was that perhaps before a Reds game as well? He drew the the um, the very bland looking stick figure face on the on the whiteboard and just wanted no response. One of the guys just. Completely focused, no emotion, uh, and I guess down to business in one of the games too. He's an interesting one checker, and they could definitely deal with him uh, at uh, the Tars at the moment. My one. Yeah, well, I think, I, I think. Sorry, Reg, to interrupt. I think his yep. other tactic was just generally hurling things around the change room. Yeah. I mean, that's mm-hmm. one motivation right. way to do it. I mean, just smashing your fist against glass tables and that sort of thing, which you know has its place. Breaking windows and abusing South African cameramen. Um, <laughs> Look, um, my one before we go to you, Matt, was uh, this is more personal. This is when I was a coach, when I was being coached at school, playing at school. We had a coach, a pommy guy, who ended up being a pretty decent coach, but he had this belief that you had to have your second wind as you're running onto the game. So he used to put put us through like a mini fitness session in the sort of the last 20 minutes before the game started. Oh, wow. And the, I remember the, the very first, and I was a prop, I was a tight-head prop, so I didn't like fitness sessions the best of times. And I remember the very first game he coached us, he you know, brought this into the game and we were all shocked and blowing big time. And, and literally as we were about to run on the field, he said, okay, Reg, and you're captain. So here as I ran, I, I could barely talk to the referee. The referee's asked me to cost the touch. You know, pick the coin toss, and I could barely <laughs> breathe at that time. I think we we're playing at Toowoomba at altitude. It was ridiculous, and so the whole second wind tactic before you run on the field just that lost me. Good yeah. coach, though. Good coach. How many thousand meters is Toowoomba at, mate? A uh, good couple of hundred. <laughs> <laughs> Those kicks just come that extra bit, though, don't they? Uh, yeah. 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 Uh, what about you, Matt? Any experiences, mate? No, well, look, I, I did hear that they had to remove the rope and shoelaces from Dale Gibson's room, though, uh, <laughs> uh, on, on Friday night. Oh, look, we had some funny things. Like, um, oh, Joey's, we always um, had a, a few odd things. There was uh, people used to love, if you if the back line had stuffed up, there was a couple of coaches. I think um, a brother whose nickname was Archie Ironballs, um, his, I think one of his favourites was if you had a back line that was dropping balls that you had to uh, do passing drills with a brick, um, you know, for the following <laughs> week, uh, and that kind of, yeah, and that that kind of, you know, taught you, um, you know, taught you some respect for the ball. And speaking of which, I heard a great one once was that apparently I'm pretty sure it was Morgan Turanui 
had an absolute shocker for a while under um, Eddie Jones, just dropping the ball left, right, and center. It was when he was pretty early on. And uh, apparently Eddie Jones made him carry a ball around just permanently. He said he, he didn't want to see him without a rugby ball in his hands for like <laughs> like a month. So like every time he walked to training, away from training, to meetings, when they were on tour, he had to have a ball in his hands. Um, and uh, I think Morg said, yeah, that actually cured it. He, uh, you know, sort of learned to take care of the ball. Um, the other one was I had a coach in the UK just used to scream at, scream at the top of his lungs. This is when we were at uni, and we were just really mucking around. Um, used to call us a bunch of shammer to wankers, um, which to this and stuck was pretty. Yeah, it was pretty, yeah. pretty accurate. <laughs> actually, that's a good tagline for this show. <laughs> yeah, from here on then. So yeah, that stuck with me though. That, I thought, yeah, he pretty much nailed it. That guy. Oh, good work, good work. All right, lads, thanks for that. We're going to get into our burning questions and I'll run through them quickly to, to get everyone's juices flowing. And question one, the British Lions squad has been announced. We're going to look at that tour and, and ask the question, how many matches do we reckon the Lions will win on tour? Uh, question two, where to now for the Tars? And we're going to spend a fair bit of time talking about the Waratahs of the week. Again, won't we? Surely we can delve a little deep into that one. Uh, question three, uh, was the improved performance by the Force and Rebels last week a sign of better things to come? Question four, our next in the positional review for the Wallabies 2017, who's going to play hooker in 2017? And question five, uh, we'll look at that women's sevens performance over in Japan there. And uh, can, that te- can our team bounce back? Back and defend their title. So straight to question one, guys. That we'll go to our resident Pom here, or well, not resident anymore, but our most recent <laughs> Pom here, um, Matt. The the Lions. What would you make of the squad first before we go and have a look at the um, the the itinerary? Oh, there's a few things in the in the squad that you know were kind of yeah interesting. I guess um, probably weren't quite as many Poms as a lot of people would have assumed, and actually. If you look at at the uh, squads as the years have gone by or the tours have gone by, they progressively got uh, fewer and fewer. Um, I believe, in fact, and this surprised me a little bit, I must admit, that if we, uh, yeah, if you look at the the makeup, so you've got 16 Poms, as in English, 12 Wales, 11 Irish, and two Scots. So you, I don't know, with what I saw of Wales, I might have been a little bit surprised that they got that sort of mm. representation. And Scotland saying, considering they beat both Wales and Scott Island to only, actually only come up with two, uh, you know, they, they feel a little bit aggrieved. Um, but look, you know, out of the rest of it, there's, I think there was a couple of other um, sort of uh, big, well, not big surprises, but surprises. Dylan Hartley, England captain, didn't make the cut. Um, yep. You know, at all. Sam Warburton, Warburton is captain again. That probably shouldn't surprise too many. Um, but the, considering the guy can't help but win man of the match whenever he plays, um, Joe Launchbury didn't make it at all either. Um, and I think that's uh, surprised quite a few people. Um, Jonathan Joseph made it into the centres, which I think maybe raised a few eyebrows. Considering, you know, who got left out there, Hugh? Oh, um... Come on, give it to us. Ring, ring. <laughs> oh, oh, ring rolls. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I was disappointed. Too. Yeah, so he, yeah, so he didn't make it. I think they feel like he's just a little bit away. But look, they've they've got permission. I think they've added like a is it like an extra half a dozen um, to the squad? It's a squad of forty four, um, so it's a big old squad. But and I think this is probably behind. Um, I don't know. Sorry, the decision to take. Uh, all right, yeah. Actually, no, they're taking 41. Sorry, I've got that wrong. Um, they're, they're taking 41. Um, and actually, some other interesting stats in there, just for people who uh, might be interested. Um, so the average age overall is 27. Uh, 26 for the backs, 20, uh, 27 for the forwards. Average caps, um, average is 43. 44 for the forwards. Um, uh, sorry, 43 for the backs, 44 for the forwards, and 43.8 um, overall. Uh, and then the only other thing, so the thing that I think is behind this question, though, as far as how we think they might do, is uh, just what the itinerary is. It's an absolute mm. ball breaker. So Saturday 3rd of June, it kicks off against a New Zealand Provincial Union 15. I think they're calling it the Barbarians or something. Um, yep. And then Wednesday, June the 4th, uh, Blues at Eden Park. Sat that next Saturday, the 10th, the Crusaders. Then you get to Tuesday, you've got the Highlanders. 
Then you get to um, the Saturday, you've got the Maori All Blacks. Next Tuesday, you've got the Chiefs. And then the following Saturday, you've got your first test, Eden Park. Yeah. Um, that next Tuesday, the 27th, you're taking on the Hurricanes. Um, and then that Saturday, you've got um, the second test in Wellington. You get, then you get the whole week off um, before you get back to go. You get to go back to Eden Park and take on New Zealand. That is an absolute uh, ball terror. Isn't it monstrous? And I think you, you look at that, and I think um, correct me if I'm wrong, I, but I think I, I remember the, the New Zealand Rugby Union saying that that Blues game and Crusaders game early on will be full strength too. They're going to let all the All Blacks play. Yeah. I'm not too sure about that Highlanders game on the Tuesday. But, gosh, a full-strength Crusaders team at the moment um, is pretty damn impressive. But that that's a tough draw, ain't it, Hugh? What are you, what's, your, what's your feel on that one? Any hope anywhere? I guess that first New Zealand Provincial Barbarians team and maybe the Maori All Blacks? Oh, yeah. I mean, definitely the Maori All Blacks. They're definitely the All Blacks, the Maoris. Oh, Two wins. Yeah, they'll, they'll win a few games. I think they'll knock off a few super opponents too, because you've got to remember they'll be playing a lot of them without all, you know, with some of them without all yeah. blacks. It'll be you know to end of the season. Um, there'll be a few injuries and that sort of thing. So there'll be a, it'll be used as an opportunity for development. Um, and you remember when the Australian teams played them, the provincial sides. Um, a couple, of, you know, a couple of sides really front of that, but a couple fell away too. Um, and decided. I remember it was the force, if I recall correctly. Um, who decided to rest their whole team and yes. play a cast of no names? Um, so and that that worked out um, predictably pretty well, pretty um, poorly. But so, oh, look, I think that they'll win a few games. That squad was I, I was interested um, for a number of reasons. I was amazed at the lack of Scots, and mm. you know I know that their team ethos is sort of a, a, a team of uh, sorry a champion team more than a team of champions, as it were. But I thought they were they were. You know, a comfortable third in that Six Nations, easily better than than um, what Wales dished up, and to have that imbalance in the selections, I think would would really rankle if you were a Scot. Um, and it, it's going to hit us. It's going to hit us. Of yeah, course. isn't it? That's the, the big nothing. one. We can't take a trick because now we're going to get a pretty much full string Scotland um, coming coming out to. I mean, look, we're only playing them in one test, but I mean, now that's shaping up as a really good test match. Yeah, um, yeah. Real, at least, I suppose, looking on the bright side, it would be a really good test for the Wallabies, mm. as opposed to what you thought it might be, which was something of a, a second-string Scottish side. Yeah. But, you know, having the, considering we just got over them, you know, um, the last couple of times we played them, and, you know, and they've got some really, you know, the, the brothers, the Grey brothers in the, the Grey pack, brothers, and yeah. L and, yep. you know, um, the Laidlaw, the halfback, and the Christie, I think, who's the, who's the back rower, and, you know, they've... Sean Maitland, they've just they've just got a lot of classy players in that team, and and um to to not see more of them get in a wider squad, I was pretty surprised. But you know, Gatlin's Gatland, and and you know he's gonna he's gonna basically go with what's served him in the past, and and um and look, they, these guys did the job for him in in Australia four years ago, so he's backing them in, and and um I think it'll be um. Yeah, you know, he's putting himself on the line, so we'll have to see. But, geez, it's going to be a cracker of a series. I mean, the spine of that English forward pack, combined with a few really good backs, um, you know, guys like Johnny Sexton thrown in, um, thrown in there as well. And, and um, geez, it's it, it it'll be a great series. I can't wait. I think the All Blacks will get them pretty, and they might get them three 0 But I think the the Lions will have plenty of fight in them. And I don't know if you guys have met many Scots, but it doesn't take much to piss one off. So, um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> before you know it, they're kind of swearing at you seemingly drunkenly. So, look, um, yeah, I mean, they should come out punching. So that out of that three domestic test series we've got, that one I think um, could shape up uh, pretty t- tastily, actually. But, yeah, I mean, like, wow, what, what a... What a tour. Um, you can see why they're bringing a few extra guys. I mean, um, you know, Gatlin said basically he's kind of pointed out where he thinks they're going to try and win it. And he said it's going to be in the type five. Plus he reckons they're probably bringing, you know, four or five of the world's best goal kickers. Uh, so I, I don't think we're going to be watching sort of, um, the <laughs> champagne world, rugby. no champagne rugby from, from the lions perhaps. Um, and the lions never really look to play that way until they've basically got us on toast like they did in the third test last in, in the last series. So yeah, I think they'll probably be hoping for, you know, pissing down rain and, and uh, you know, grind grind some wins out. 
Won't that first test? I mean, the, the, the great tour, and this is what rugby, you know, traditional rugby is about, these great tours, but, God, that first test at Auckland uh, on 24th of June, uh, yeah, the lines, that is all or nothing for them. They will be so pumped up, and I can't wait to see the likes of Atoji and, and um, what's that, uh, yeah, Targ, the Irish... Uh, Front row if he gets a go. I mean, it's hard to know who'll be the yeah Doug Furlong if such a physical guy who took on the, the took on the All Blacks a couple of times last year, uh, really strongly. So yeah, fantastic tour. Really fascinating to see how it all plays out. I mean, look, um, and I think and I think Gatlin's right. I mean, he knows it backwards, right? Is uh, that's the way that you're going to beat beat this side? Is you're going to have to knock their pack backwards. Um, yeah. You know, starve them of a bit of set piece, um, knock them back in the tackle. Um, and that's about the only way you can do it, because then you stop, you know, you stop the offloads, you disrupt their possession. Um, you know, you have to have very, very disciplined kicking and, and kick chase. But you know, you got to say if these guys coach the right way, they should be able to do it. <clears throat> It'll be very interesting to see how the Poms can integrate with another side, though, because I think they're pretty regimented in the way that they play. Um, so it'll be very interesting to see how those different team ethoses sort of come together under a different coach with Gatlin. Yeah, that'll be the big thing, isn't it? They've uh, going from Eddie Jones and his whole uh, coaching philosophy um, to to Gatland, and, and you know Gatland's time at Wales hasn't, particularly of late, hasn't been of the highest. Admittedly, Rob Howley's been in charge for the, I guess, the Six Nations, but uh, that'll be uh, that'll be a, a big variable in this series, and we'll have to see how the. Uh, the Poms and let alone the others, uh, the Irish, uh, uh, fit in there because there's some key players and key positions uh, that uh, Gatlin will be relying on. So where are we getting to? Just as um, a, so how many? Yeah. The question was how many wins. Oh, look, well, there's two easy ones. I mean, two relatively. They'll win New Zealand Provincial Barbarians and they should win the Maori All Blacks. Oh. Um, it's, it comes down to, like Hugh said, who plays. I mean, the Hurricanes and the Chiefs on the Tuesday before a Test match. Um, will have no All Blacks. So that Hurricanes team, you know, won't have your Bowden Barretts and Julian Severs and all that sort of stuff. So that's, your, you know, that's a fair chance. And that's that's for the, what are the, the, the Dirty 30s, the midweek mob. That's their last chance probably on tour. So you'd imagine that would be a pretty key one for them as well. So, look, I'll say they'll win. Mate, I might even, I might, I think I'll win a test. I'll say they'll win a test and mm. three other games. Yep, right out here. Yeah, look, I think it's a good Lions team. I think Northern Hemisphere rugby is as strong as it's been for, as, yep. for, for a long, long time. So I think they might win four or five games. And, in, yeah, including a test, which may be the dead rubber third one. But um, I, I think... Um, I, I, I also wonder if, if the weakness of, of the Australian conference to a lesser extent, the South African conference, might actually hinder the All Blacks a little bit too. Mm. Yeah. They're not yeah. getting that same sort of... Um, mid-year competition from out of Super Rugby and they might be a little bit vulnerable. Yep. No, look, I'll go, I'll go with both of you guys. I probably err on Hugh's side a little bit because I think also the Blues uh, with their jailbreak murder ball um, under a bit of pressure from a pack and a kicker like that would probably fold as well. So, yeah, I mean, you'd, you'd think probably the, maybe the Crusaders and the Highlanders um, have the best running there and then they probably... And then, you know... The, I, I agree with you. They should probably pick up a test as well. So yeah, they should get four or five wins. We're probably underestimating them. Yeah, I think you make a really good point here. That yeah, yeah, the All Blacks are, or the New Zealanders are missing that big physicality from the South Africans in particular, and, and um, that could impact on them big time. Good call. All right, let's move on to the next question. I'm really eager to get to this one, guys. <laughs> um, <laughs> where to? Where to now for the Tars, mate? That that win over the Kings and can I? Oh, sorry, the loss. Can I say, I had an inkling about this, and it's not... When they, Hooper came out and said, talked about four try bonus points or try bonus points, and admittedly, the journal asked the question and he was answering, but that's a question you squash straight away. You don't talk about, yeah, we go into every game looking for, for, for try bonus points when you haven't been playing well and you're playing a team like they were on the weekend. And that was just, that was my first... You know, question mark as to what the mindset was of the Tars, and they they showed it on on the weekend. You know, they started okay, Hugh, but they failed, and it was a it's a it's a massive loss. Yeah, and and it, it was attitude, Reg, and, and the thing about it was is you know those little comments from Hooper. I think yeah, they get made quite a bit, and and of course teams are wanting to get bonus points where they can and score tries where they can, but they come it takes on a greater significance after a loss like that where. 
it was clear their attitude was wrong. And and you saw them turn down kickable penalties, which isn't like a crime in and of itself. In the first half, they were riding high, and it was fair enough. But then in the second half, when it got tight, they were getting penalties. You know, it was 17-14, and they had a penalty in front of the sticks. Take take the points, yeah. you know, but they're quick tap. You know, they're quick tap, and Tom Robertson spills it, you know. Um, or I think it was... Tolulatu or someone else, but either way, they and then they drop it, you know, and and it happened a few times. They're turning down these kickable shots, and and um, the thing was, they got out to a seventeen nil lead, and they, I think everyone sat back and thought, oh, you know, here we go, this is rosy. When actually, it it was a very very lucky lead, you know, they scored one try, um, a, a length of the field try, um, which was set up by a good flower break, but they were right under pressure on their own line and the second try was an intercept from Bernard Foley which you know mm. was a, an inspired piece of play but if he misses that the Kings are in for all money they had about a five on two so you know it it, it, it could have been 17 nil but on the other hand it could have been 14 seven to the Kings and so you know it's it's um it's an interesting you know they were lucky to be, be even you know, at that stage of the game, up 17-0. And, of course, the Kings slowly gnawed away at them, and they had more enthusiasm at the breakdown, and they were, they were um, you know, they're not the most skillful side in the world, but you can't fault their attitude, and their set piece was very strong. They were beating us at the scrum, beating us at the line-out. And the Tars had nothing, no no answer to it. They just kept, kept on, um, you know, there was no patience with the ball. They were forcing it. They were trying to score on every phase. And, and they kept dropping the ball. You know, it's, and it's these really basic skill errors combined with a, what looked to be a really poor attitude from everyone with the exception of the high-paid Wallabies. I mean, I've got to say, Bernard Foley stood up and played a really good game, and Michael Hooper was his usual self, and I thought Israel Folau had a pretty good game as well. But, you know, it's, it's, it's that tight five, and it's probably by, you know, the whole forward pack, really, that, that were completely out-enthused, completely out-muscled. And the talent's there, Reg. It's, you know, these guys are, are you know, they're all pretty good players. I, I, you know, I can't, I can make a case for every one of them being a, either a current or future Wallaby, I'd suggest. But but for some reason, they're just not turning up on the field. And you, you compare that, and not to get too far ahead of, of yep. our questions, but to what the field are doing. Yep. Yep. You know, where, where they're clearly, you know, um, what you would call are some of them very, very clear second or third tier players. And they're just putting their heart and soul into their games. And they're, you know, maybe they might lose the game, but at least they're, they're, they're playing with some passion and some enthusiasm. So for the task to be, you know, phoning it in like that is is pretty insulting to the fan base. Pretty And, and you've got to wonder, you know, where that where that problem is occurring is it in the coaching staff is it in the team leadership is it a, is it a general ethos thing around the building and and you got to wonder how how you know Michael Checker was legendary for turning that around and that had, and and Gibson having learned under Checker you would have thought would just continue the same processes but it seems to have fallen away really badly in the last sort of 18 months yeah and, and look if anyone missed Hugh's uh, review of the game it's worth jumping on Greningo rugby.com and, and tracking it down because it was uh, very uh, uh, to the point and uh, a, a very good uh, piece sort of straight after the game as well. Matt, what's your read, I guess, on the game and then we can talk about where the, the rest of the season, where you expect it to go and what may or may not happen? Yeah, look, I mean, I thought, you know, Hugh got it in one and, and just to pick up on where that conversation got to, though, which is on one hand, can you kind of be surprised when you lose a Michael Checker whose, you know, ethos of coaching... I. I don't think he's a fantastic technical coach, or we've no. we've not seen anything that makes you think that. I mean, I think his whole you know modus operandi is just you know they always talk about it, getting players to kind of run through brick walls, and you, you kind of talked about it, Hugh, at the top of the show. You know, all the other all the little tricks and those extra ten percent or five percenters that he uses to kind of you know get the mind working uh, for players, and. And where he was able to do that, and I guess not all these players were necessarily playing under him, um, in the first team at least. I don't know how many of them were there under in an extended squad or whatever, but there was a lot of people, there were a lot, there were a lot of players there who, I don't know, they're so, solidly in mediocrity and their attitude isn't lifting them, lifting them out of it. And so, you know, whereas when you think back to the checker days, you just had, you know, those couple of players like, oh, who was the crazy South African guy we had? 
in the back row. Jack Peter. Yeah, Jack Peter. I mean, how important was he, right? So you you just saw somebody going absolutely ape, and you know Cliffy was had a massive impact on that team. You know, even if it was for you know forty or fifty minutes, and you had Taft Pollard now taking other people's or even his own head off, um, you know, in the game. But you know, those sorts of plays and those sorts of players just kind of lifted. And, you know, even in a poor game, you could expect those guys to kind of... You, you could budget what you're going to get out of them. There's too many people in that current team who are just disappearing. And mm. you just go, you know... And, and they're guys, you know, there's, they're guys who kind of... I, you know, they're not top flight yet. But if they're going to step up, they need to now. And there's like... But then there's some really strange selections still going on there. Like, if someone explained Tarval to me. Um, mm. Because I actually can't remember seeing a player, and this is a this might sound a really harsh thing to say, but I I can't remember seeing a player that I can actually say I think I've seen that guy lose two matches for a team. And when you're playing prop, um, and you haven't necessarily been yellow carded for you know for, you know for scrum infringements, although you, you've been part of a penalty try, um, that's that's good going. I mean, just the number he it, it's almost like he gets himself too involved because each of his involvements re, re, you know ends up in a stuff up. It's it's just it's unbelievable, and he's not some huge scrummager, and he's not great in the loose. I don't understand how the guy's been selected or you know and recruited. And um, as someone pointed out, you know to you know to make way for him went um, you know one of the Alatoas. So anyway, yeah, yep. you know there's a, there's a bunch of those things where guys like that are in the team, and then they're surrounded by other guys who just aren't stepping up. Um, you know, having said that, uh, yeah, I mean, I agree with your take there. Uh, you know, Hugh on on who did, you know Foley had a you know is really putting it all in. Especially, I'm assuming he's probably playing with a few little symptoms here and there. Um, you know, Hooper, I thought tried to bust the gut. Um, can I just one thing? I didn't need to get off my ch- my chest. Ned Hannigan's yellow card. I don't think I've ever heard anything more preposterous in my life. Um, you're part of a ruck. You can't use your feet on the ball, or you can't kick the ball. Can someone explain that to me? Because that's what he got yellow carded for. Yeah, and I think the communication there was pretty off. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't you came in from the side. It wasn't anything like that. It was you're part of the ruck. Don't use your don't use your feet. Anyway, I, I thought Hoffman had a bit of a strange match, but it certainly didn't change the fact that the Tars gave that one away. And well done to the Kings. I mean. You know, they showed the opposite of what the Tars were doing, right? It was just, you know, guys running hard onto the ball at angles, making the best opportunities, making the best of their opportunities. Um, whereas the Tars, they just look listless. Um, and you've got to say, Israel Folau, I mean, we say that the Wallabies stood up. I don't think we can be saying the same about him at the moment, can we? Oh, I thought he, I thought he was okay. I mean, cons- I thought it was actually the best I've seen him for a while. I mean, I don't think he was game-breaking easy of old, but... I mean, he certainly set up the first two tries and generally looked pretty dangerous. Mm. But and, and you can't and the second half meltdown, you can't really put it at his feet. I mean, he um, you know probably has his part to play, but it, it was mainly the forwards. But yeah, you're right, Matt. And the thing is, the spine of that team is so good that you know they've got the Wallaby ten and they've got you know a very good a, a seven in Hooper and Tolu Latu's in good form and like there's enough class in that team to be you know. And, and, Reg, the thing about the Aussie Conference is it's still wide open. You know, the Brumbies, say, are three and, the Brumbies are three and five. The Tars are only one win back of top of the Aussie Conference. So, have you seen you know, their draw, too? They're running for the rest of the season, ain't too bad. So they Reds this weekend, then they host the Blues. So, as Matt sort of alluded to, they're one of the more you know, um, inconsistent New Zealand teams. They've got a buy after that, then they host the Rebels, then they have two away games with New Zealand. So they've got the, the, the Highlanders over there and the Chiefs over there. So tough games, but, you know, winnable. Um, a break, then there's that July break. And on the way back, they have they host the Jaguars and then they have to travel to Perth for that last game, which could be the ultimate spite fest over there, at least from the fans' perspective. But that's that's not a bad run home for them. No, it's not. And look, the, you know, I think that was the... The real, but the, I suppose the real sadness around that Kings game was that this was their chance. Yeah, you know, yeah. that they're, they're gonna, you know, they're, they're not gonna have many more winnable games than that. Especially once you're seventeen nil up, um, t- to throw that one away is um is is it really stings because um 
it's you know they can do it, but it's going to be something of an uphill battle from here on in, and, and it's going to certainly require beating the Brumbies in Canberra, you would think, because that's um you know that's going to come as a key game. Are they playing so, the Brumbies in Canberra? No, they're not. No, oh. no more Brumbies games. Oh, we. Oh, that's right. We don't play the two the two conference games anymore, do we? Yeah, um, well, you don't. Yeah. That 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 fourth game in the last round is shaping is real. That's incredible. Yes, I, 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 of all the people to play in the last round, I don't want yes. to play the fourth. Um, hey, so quick one. So Daryl Gibson got the full endorsement of the board today. So yeah, dangerous, weird. danger times. He <laughs> <laughs> must have really breathed breathed easy then. So, look, they won't change. I, mean, I don't think the Tars are the type of organisation that would change mid-season. You think, Matt? No, no. I think they'll, they'll. I think he'll get through. But it's a big, big uh, warning sign, considering uh, he was anointed by Michael Checker when he left, and Michael Checker has just come out and anointed Steve Larkham as the next Wallaby coach as well. So maybe we should just be a little bit uh, wary of these anointments. And there's no good Aussie coaches around, Reg. That's the that's the thing we've been speaking about for about two years on this podcast. You know, yeah. it's, it's okay if there was somebody waiting in the rings. If there was another Michael Checker, or I suppose Laurie Fish is probably the logical choice. But even then, you know, he's left Gloucester. You know, I wouldn't I wouldn't say in in great shape. He, he sort of left of his own accord after a pretty lean season. So I mean, he's probably the guy. Simon Cron's another one without yeah. I was going to say yeah, yeah. North, but at the same, you know, he's hardly. Uh, got a huge pedigree either. You know, I'd like to see him go over and coach a UK team for a few years or something. But, um, yeah, Dave Dave Vessels is the one that I might have their eye on, Rich. Um, but well, um, I think that might get do, to our, yeah. our, next, uh, our next question. Yeah, yeah, let's do it. So improved performances by the Force and Rebels last week. Um, well, so what was that? The, the, the Rebels obviously had a 9 or draw versus the Sharks over there in South Africa and the, the Force pushed the Chiefs all along the way and, and lost 7-16. And, you know, that Sharks-Rebels game was pretty dire, but, uh, God, given the injuries and the playing list they had, a 9 or draw over in South Africa, is, they'll take that any day of the week. So a sign of better things to come. Matt, do you have much hope for those guys, or is that uh, going to well, lift the spirits a little bit? Well, I've got to say, I'll probably I'll have to um, defer um, a bit to you on this one because I think he's actually seen one of these two games. Oh, look, I mean, if the, uh, you're right, they're, they're both actually pretty good results um, against those sorts of teams, um, especially if you're away from home. Uh, so, yeah, I, look, I think both of these guys, both of these teams now. If, you know, especially if the Rebels have managed to find a little bit of steel that, um, in the backbone that they hadn't um, for the rest of the season, I guess they got the back, backs against the walls and that they're coming out kind of swinging. Um, but, you know, again, well, the Rebels, I guess it was a draw. Force, it was yet another loss. Uh, when you're kind of thinking about what that's going to look like on a ladder at the end of the season, I don't think it's going to be um, blowing too many people's socks off. Um, but look, yeah... Ugh. You know, may, was, may it continue for the rest of the season? May they get scrappier and may they grab some, um, you know, some results? Yeah, Hugh, I mean, it goes back to your point before about the hunger, at least, that both teams showed. I mean, again, that Rebels performance with Will Miller playing club footy two weeks ago and, and this week debuting on the side of the scrum um, and having a bit of a corker, a few uh, steals there and so on. And, and the, the force, you know, legitimately pushing the Chiefs there for a little while the Chiefs on the back of a, a long tour from South Africa. But, it, you know, that's the hunger you talked about that's lacking, I'd say, in both the, Rebel, the Reds and the Waratahs. Oh, exactly. I mean, I was watching the, the Force-Chiefs um, game, and at one stage, um, the Chiefs made a break through the centre and looked to be in for all money, and then Matt Hodgson came out of nowhere and yeah. pulled off an amazing diving tackle. Just so much energy, and then got up and stopped the bloke reaching out um, and look, the Chiefs scored three phases later, but it, you know, it was just one of those acts that I think I don't think a Reds or Waratahs player would would do that. You know, I don't think there is that level of desperation to stop um, to stop a uh, an attacking like attacking team like that. But you know, the, the force for for a team that, as I said before, you know, pretty limited sort of squad, and you know, and, and there's many reasons for that. And our friends out west have point to the top up system and all of this, and and they've got the raw end of the stick. Um, and they probably, yeah, they're probably right on that. Um, and yet, you know, they played Luke Burton at ten, and I don't know why John Lance was on the bench, Reg. Um, no. but um, that was a strange selection, and I don't think Luke Burton did a huge amount right. No. Um, 
and that Billy Meeks is a, a is a really good workhorse sort of a mm. player that I like, and and um and they've got some some you know Luke Morahan and these guys, but I mean fundamentally that forward pack's just a lot of workman like sort of guys, and Matt Hodgson being the being the king of them, um and they just guts it out really well, and and they're coaching you know they they're really well coached, um which is what I like about them is is they they do some clever little things and some of their lineout moves. And um and starter plays. I put one up on my Twitter feed. Um, uh, Hugh Cavill, if anyone would like to have a look, it's it's fascinating. It's just little clever little moves that we don't see from these other sides. And and it's you know that the they've got a pretty limited hand to play. Um, the Force and Rebels, and the Force mainly because I, I just like the way they do things there. And and they manage to do so much creative stuff with a, with what you would call a pretty limited pack, pretty limited side. That um, you know, that they 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 lost sixteen seven to the Chiefs, and it was seven all halftime. They never really looked like winning in that second half. They just made too many basic errors. Um, one when they got in attacking positions, but you know the Chiefs had a lot of possession, and the Force just kept holding them out and holding them out and holding them out. And um, and that's something that um, you know, it's it's a heartening loss. But at this stage of their campaign against a, a, you know, given what happened to the Brumbies this week, um. Who put in a laudable half and was still beaten oh, by? Gosh, yeah. Yep. Um, then um, it's it's something to I, th- I think it's something to um, you know to to be proud of as a, as a Ford fan and a Rebels fan. Yeah, and you called it during the game too, Hugh. You said that they look to be the best coached Australian team. I think you're right. And to your point there, they Vessels is getting the most out of that squad. And you look at the names: Richie Arnold and um, uh, uh, you know Michael Ruru, the the halfback, and 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 you know these guys just stepping up. Going, you know, Alex Newsom, the the, uh, the winger, and so on. These guys stepping up and playing that haven't played much and, and he's, he's getting them you know to stand up at Super Rugby which is fantastic and, and trying things like you say in those line outs uh, even that lock that lock they brought over from Carmichael from Scotland who was here in apprenticeship effectively had, had to start Super Rugby so short they were in numbers um, you know, no Adam Coleman I, thought, well, I think might be due back this week we might see him back but no Coleman no Matt Phillip no Ben Machuau. Um they're really struggling but uh, uh, you know uh, uh, Inspiring performance despite the loss. So um, can I can I give a shout out to one of my new favourite players? Because yeah, you know, Reg, it's one thing I love in rugby. It's a good journeyman. Yeah. Um, and I think the ultimate journeyman in Australian rugby. Um, I love what he stands for. Ian Pryor. Oh yeah. Um, you know he's played nine and ten. He's played for the Reds. He's played for the Brumbies. He's played for the Force. He's always been there or thereabouts. Probably never quite good enough to to sort of to be a permanent starter. But he's always always good good off the bench and always comes in and fills in with a plum in these sides. Never seems to get injured. Um, he's just always there, Ian Pryor. And and I don't think I've I've ever got on my feet and gone, wow, Ian Pryor. But you know he's never really stuffed up either. So I'll um I'll it's it's probably pretty tepid praise for Ian. But I I I, I love him and so for a bloke that you know is is um is just always a very reliable player across a number of sides for a number of years. And I hope he, I hope it continues because we need more of those sort of guys in our, in our system and in our, in Australian rugby. Obviously won a title with the Reds in 2011. So uh, he's, he's got a ring on his finger, which is uh, yeah, no, a good solid team. And as many of those uh, Queensland university players are over at the force there, that the, the Tessman, the John O'Lancers and the like. So uh, yeah, good one there. Um, Let's move on to question number four, and we're continuing our look at the Wallaby squad and proposed teams. And this is an interesting one, particularly on the back of some of the comments that Ben Darwin made last week. And it's probably worth mentioning that thanks to everyone for some great positive feedback about it. I guess our podcast from the last couple of weeks, but particularly Ben Darwin last week, uh, a lot of really positive feedback on social media, um, which we appreciate. And I know Ben appreciates. So, look, if you haven't caught that episode, you can jump on our website at greengoldrugby.com and still catch it there. But uh, well, You know what's great about that feedback, Reg, is it said, um, really enjoy having the guests on. So yeah. <laughs> we're really, we've really responded well to that uh, this week. <laughs> we've, we've learned, haven't we? Yeah. What's the message in there? It's great when you have someone else to talk other than you guys. That's, I thought that was pretty loud. Someone who there. knows what they're talking about. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Although, having said that, I've got a, um, an iTunes review, guys. Um, oh, good stuff. Let's it, hear it. It's been, it's been a while since we had one here, and this is from Robbie G. Mac. 
Um, just in April, he, he dropped this one. Uh, the Gaga crew know their rugby and are happy to share their insights. A friendly fireside chat or around the table at the pub or just cuddling a red at home worthy of a listen. As Molly would say, do yourself a favour. And everyone knows that Molly would say that. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> But good on you, Robbie. Thanks for dropping the comment. Love having him. And, um, yeah, there's got to be some more. There's got to be some. We've had some zingers over the time. It'd be good to get some more back. Yep. All right. Well, let's let's show them all how much we know um, and talk about who's got to play hooker for the Wallabies this year. <laughs> Matt, who's, who's your think? I mean, Darwin made some interesting comments last week about uh, Moore and his time at the Reds, and that doesn't necessarily mean uh, he won't be uh, worthwhile for the Wallabies. Well, look, uh, you know, I, you've got to have... As, a, as the incumbent and knowing the way that Checker t- tends to work and the fact that, if my memory serves me correctly, he was actually captain, wasn't he? Yep, he uh, was. Last, yep. Time he, what, last time he played, then, yeah, you've, you've got to say he's in there. Um, but, I mean, it'd be good to explore the alter, you know the alternates. I mean, probably the next on the list. <laughs> I'm about to say this, so everyone's going to give me... Well, you know who I'm going to say. It's going to be probably Tolu Latu. Um, uh, I think he's been having a, a really good uh, super season, but you know, Reg, why don't I throw it to you for a second? Why don't you give us a non-Waratah view? Oh no, my, Latu would be my call, and, and Moore's a really interesting one, and I'll be fascinated when the Reds team for this week's announced because uh, Moore didn't play last week, so we had the by sort of last round, but the round before Moore didn't play, and Alex Murphy started, and uh, Andrew Reddy was a man was on the bench, and I thought. Alex Murphy was fantastic. Now, I'm not calling for him to be in the Wallaby team, but I would very strongly like to see him start at hooker again for the Reds this weekend for the Tars. Um, but so that's an interesting one that Styles will pick up on, whether he chucks more straight back in the starting lineup. I, I, I can't justify Moore's selection for the Wallabies, let alone the Reds. So um, when you look at the next, mm-hmm. next man down, I think it has to be Latu. And, and, and even beyond that, you know, it's really curious. And... Does Tatafi get another shot at the Wallabies, which is something we wouldn't have thought um, probably eight months ago? It's 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 really quite odd because you know the, even James Hansen hasn't been stepping up. I thought Robbie Abel might be an option, but he's sort of definitely behind Josh Manray. But that uh, yeah, one and two. I think Latu's the man. Hugh, you you think the same? No, I don't, Red. No, no, I think the man who should be wearing two for the Wallabies. Tatafu Pilata now. Yeah, you do. I, I was watching him on, on Saturday, and I was blown away. I cannot believe that the impact that he makes with ball in hand. It's ridiculous. Mm. It's better than any other Australian forward going around at the moment. I mean, I watched the Brumbies, I watched the Waratahs, and I watched the um, I watched the um, Force game. And, and he was the only one that was making consistent metres with a ball in hand, tight situations, whatever. He's beating the first, you know, getting through tackles. He's... Be- barging over people, he still hasn't lost that abrasive nature, and he's still pretty young too. Um, if I, I'm just going to quickly look up his age, but um, he, look, I, I think you know he's he's line out throwing potentially always you know always a little bit um, always a little bit uh, suspect, but um, he's only 31, so mm. you know at the time with a two years he's 33 at the next World Cup, that's doable. Yep. Um, obviously, body is the issue. Very, very injury prone, um, but look, I think having him and having him as a mentor in for Tolu Latu, who I agree is a very good player and is is the future, but probably looks a little bit raw. I I think I'd be liking to give Tolu some time off the bench, and and Tatafu is probably the probably the man to to start. It's it's tough though, isn't it? Because look, I love Tatafu, uh, but having him start is a little bit worrying given his you know head knocks and his. Injuries and you know, in a bit, in a bit know, of a line out. Yeah, but who else is there? I mean, Tolu Latu's no great shakes to the line out either. So you yeah, know, man. maybe look, you throw Chipper Hansen in, and I'm sure he won't he won't let you down. He's a pretty solid bloke. And I uh, look, I think we'd be mad to think that Steve Moore's not going to feature. I don't think there's ever. I can't recall a time, Reg, where a Wallaby captain is you know a, a, a Wallaby captain has has been dropped from the squad completely while still captain. Um, certainly not for a long time. Mm, mm. But um, yeah, so I look. I think I think you'd be. I'd be surprised if Stephen Moore wasn't there or thereabouts come come that first test. But um, Tatafu, I hope gets. I hope he keeps getting picked because he's. I reckon he's the form hooker at the moment. 
Yeah, fascinating. Oh, that, look, I think everyone would love it, it's, but there's uh, many questions around it as there are around the whole position. Um, all right, let's go to our last burning question, uh, and it's about the women's sevens team. So they, they had uh, the Kiwis won the, the, the uh, World Seven Series uh, tournament in Japan on the weekend. The Aussies finished third with a win over Fiji in the playoff 17-12. Um, I'll give you a bit of a wrap-up, and if anyone wants to ju- jump in there, look... The, the Aussies sort of blitzed away on that first day, but they they were blown out of the water by Canada in the semi-final. Canada played some of the best sevens I've seen. On attack, they were just clinical, um, but their defence was superb. And look, the Aussies suffered some really bad uh, injuries and, and Elia Green and I think Emily Cherry missed this game and, and uh, one other player, I can't think of the top of my head, but they, they suffered some big blows and were already without... Emma Tonegato and I think uh, it was Shani Williams as back home as well. But, um, you know, big injuries and a lot of young players, new players to the team. And you could see they were the guys that probably, I won't say let us down, but were just a little bit off the pace there. And then um, we uh, a really tough win to win that third-place playoff with Chloe Dalton scoring a cracker down the end to score that, to come from behind to win. And I must say the Fiji women are, are starting to really click in this game. I think I watched them last year and they were well off the place, off the pace, but they're now starting to offload and support the ball much like their men's and throw these great ridiculous passes. But um, yeah, New Zealand were superb. Um, so they beat Canada in the final 17-14, so still tough. Um, but the Kiwis, I think, are 10 points ahead of the series. So it's got to be tough, Hugh, for the women to, to, to bounce back from that, to, to actually take out the series. I think they'll still do well. They haven't actually won a tournament this year, which is uh, big for them. No, they haven't. And they haven't even been in the final for a while, too, because you recall the Sydney Sevens, they didn't get there either. Right. Yeah. Um, and you don't have as many opportunities in the women's Sevens, unfortunately, whereas their blokes can sort of bounce back the next week and have another go. Um it's a little bit worrying. I think these are the, the you know these are they're the gold standard in Australian rugby our women's sevens team, and to see them fall off the pace even slightly, and look they're still on the podium, but um, the challenges coming from New Zealand, from Canada, from Fiji, from the USA, from Great Britain, um, from England, sorry, uh, yeah, look it's it's um, you know it just shows you that that you know much like Australia. Um, rugby around professionalism for the men. You know, we responded really well, really quickly, but now everyone's catching up. And it's just up to our high-performance guys and our team to stave that off for as long as we can. And now with the AFL women and the, um, you know, the netball and other sports growing, we're, we're, it's, you know, we're struggling to find... We're not struggling, but it's, it's harder to find talent. So it's up to our guys to find that, those next superstars and, and uh, where that next level of talent's coming from. So, um, look, it's certainly we'll, it'd be interesting to see how they how they go because, as I said, it's it's pretty cutthroat sevens, and you've only got to have a few um, bad minutes to throw your tournament out completely. But um, let's hope they can bounce back. Yeah, I think they will. They've got some good young players. Mahela Murphy and Emma Sykes are two stars, but you can just tell they're just learning the ropes still. And I think um, I think Timmy Walsh will have them all pumped for the uh, the Commonwealth Games. Uh, which is just under a year away as well. So um, that'll be a big tournament for them. Um, look, guys, that'll wrap us up. But I did want to get some quick tips for this round because uh, there's some pretty great games going on. And um, so, look, look, again, just focusing on the Aussies. I guess Reds and Waratahs, do you guys give um, your Tars much hope of bouncing back? Obviously, it's Kopi Kepo. I think we'll be back. That'll help you set piece and may relegate Tarvi, but it still means Paddy Ryan's around. Matt, do you give the, the Tars much chance this week? Uh, yeah, you would hope that they'd be getting a bit of a rev up after that, and I don't know. The Reds have been pretty off and on. I don't, yeah, I, yeah. I don't know which way to call this one. I guess you give the Reds home ground advantage and try and go with the Tars form. Um, yeah, it's could be a good old you know, classic Reds Tars, um, you know, match this one. Stouch, yeah. Exactly. Um, the only thing, the only thing I'd say is just remember, you know, at the end of the day, the Tars did score four tries on the weekend. Um. I mean, there's there's been a, a little bit of hyperbole about putting it like back. Is it like the was it 2012? The last time it was absolutely dire. Um, but you know, remember we were trying to you know score by you know just by penalty goals back then. The, the Tars can still score a try at the moment, and the Reds can definitely concede one. So, uh, what about you, Hugh? Uh, you're the tipping master here. Which way are you going for this one? <laughs> I don't know. I think I probably tip the Waratahs. I think they're probably, as I said, they've just got a little bit more class 
um, in in Bernard Foley and Michael Hooper, who I think are you know arguably two the two best players in Australian rugby at the moment. And I hope that they'll uh, get some bounce back of Arguably, <laughs> arguably. I mean, Did but you who not else are you putting it Actually, it's an interesting discussion. <laughs> <laughs> I like the way you bring up that argument with a minute to go on the podcast too. Scotty yeah, Theo. By the way, I hope Scotty Sears' knee's okay. That's that's a little watch this space. I hope he limped off in that game, and, and we haven't heard since, but I know it didn't look great. So that's a big one for the Wallabies if, if he's affected. Um I'll tip the Waratahs, but I think it might be a bit of a cripple fight. Could be a sort of a, an 18-14 kind of scoreline. Yeah, who, who plays less poorly sort of thing. Yeah, I'll tip the Reds, but that's I've really got no idea. It's a, a real concern. I guess we'll wait and see the teams. Force what's v. Lions. So, sorry, what's the losing streak, Reds, Waratahs? Because I don't think you've beaten this for about uh, 10 I years. think it's six. Yeah, no, I think it's six years maybe. I'll, I'll check in and let you know. But uh, it, hoodoo. I think it's, it's a hoodoo. Yeah, it is a hoodoo, mate. Um, well, the, yeah, book, the bookies have got reds at shorter odds. Yeah, yeah. I, and I, I think that's fair, but it's uh, whether that means anything on the field, obviously not. 4-3 Lions. So the Lions are uh, interesting stats today. Lions don't win away from South Africa. They have played outside of South Africa once this year versus the Jaguars and lost. Uh, this is their second time outside and they're about to go to New Zealand. So 4-3 Lions, force any help there, uh, I hope there, Matt. Yeah, go on the force. But um, just about the Lions not winning outside of South Africa, is that because they haven't played in Australia? I'm kind of guessing. Well, well, because they haven't yes. played outside of South Africa. They've played one game outside of South Africa. All right. Yep. There you yeah. go. Uh, yeah, go on force. <laughs> Hugh? That was encouraging. Lions will win this one. I actually wouldn't be surprised if it's pretty comfortable, unfortunately. Yeah, right. They're a good okay. They are, but I think the force might do it. Uh, what's one? Kings and Rebels. So another interesting one. Kings flying back to South Africa and Rebels already over there. Uh, same again. Quick question. Kings or Rebels? Matt? Uh, Kings. They're, they're, they're world beaters, Hugh. Kings. <laughs> Huge. <laughs> Jeez, the Rebels might pinch this. They're injury-prone, yeah, so I'd say probably yeah. Kings riding high. I'll tip the Kings, but geez, if the Rebels can pinch this and go, you know... Um, Undefeated through South Africa, that's that's a that's a real feat, even you know against the Kings, but still fantastic if yeah. they could do it. If they can do it, I think they're a good shot too. And Brumbies versus Blues finally on Sunday afternoon in Canberra. Uh, Matt, which way? Uh, Brumbies uh, to be stung and grind one out against the Blues. Hugh, any different? Uh, yep, I'm, I'm, I'm still going with my theory. Uh, Always to begin being, tip the New Zealand team. You're, you're far too serious about this tipping stuff and getting things right. Yeah. <laughs> All right, guys. Uh, well, it's, gotta... just, it's a rare burst of professionalism for this podcast, man. I've been doing the analytics, the Ben Darwin data uh, analysis. That's you're what, you you're know. against our shammer to wanker ethos, mate. We have to have a chat <laughs> afterwards. Well, she was a guest next week, Hugh, so it, uh, it'll just appease those viewers. Um, look, everyone, that's going to wrap us up. Thanks very much for listening and joining us. Thanks to you, Matt and Hugh. Thanks, mate. And uh, to all our listeners, we'll catch you next week.